Hello, and welcome back to Ray's Music Reviews, a, um, a music podcast where we talk about music, talk everything music. Today, we will be talking about television's Marquee Moon, and today is actually special because we went down to Revolver Records. Inside Jitterbug Coffee. We had our good friend, Elvis. The owner, brilliant musical mind, Elvis, gives us his time and walks us through one of his favorite records. I mean, he really likes this record. Yeah, absolutely. Well-deserved, uh, though. Of course. Uh, and you will hear that after this. Welcome to Ray's Music Reviews. Come along as Ray embarks on a musical journey by deep-diving into artists, genres, and albums of his choosing. And now, Ray Reviews. We picked this album because... Um, uh, actually, because uh, Elvis was talking about it, right? And... Mm-hmm. When when you'd picked up the record, Elvis, um, like like his eyes kind of wet, and he was like, "Dude, you gotta hear this." Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd heard about this album, of course, generally just like in talks about like music and stuff. I, I had heard about this record being talked about as like one of the best, at least of its era. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that I guess that all sparked sparked my intrigue and dove into it. And we're kind of fascinated by it. it. Yeah, it's a fascinating record. I mean, you're talking about uh, 1973, this band's born with Billy Ficka, uh founding member Tom Verlaine, who passed away just mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, lead vocals, guitar, keyboards. Richard Lloyd was a guitarist who came along later. Richard Hell was the original bassist, winds up in the New York Dolls, and uh, Elvis will kind of tell us his path just a little bit in the interview. And then um, Fred Smith takes over an interesting tidbit about that though is as influ- you know Richard Hell's in this band and a lot of the stuff you read about this band early on is about it being a punk band but I, I think you'll agree with me when you listen to the record it doesn't feel punk at all more post punk if that's right well that th- what what the uh, what Tom Verlaine says is when Richard Hell leaves the band and Fred Smith comes in he said I had somebody that I could play off that I that could follow me when I went. And you know, how they talk about how Elvis describes noodling and how he doesn't normally like noodling in a record, but he did like it here. Mm-hmm. My guess is that with Richard Hell, that was more complicated. The New York Dolls is a completely different animal than this. Mm-hmm. If they don't do Marquee Moon on this record, is what ten minutes? Yeah, a, a lot of guitar stuff. Fred Smith has to follow on bass and vocals. That wasn't really what Richard Hell was able to do. Richard Hell went and did something else somewhere else that was fantastic, but it wasn't this. Yeah. And I think that one thing that happened is they transitioned into a completely different band due to Verlaine being able to open up and do more without having to worry about some of his members. He said that as much in an interview. He, he said, um, it was like having a lightning rod you could spark around. Fred could follow stuff. That's a direct quote from... Uh, Verlaine. And these uh, any quotes I have that are direct quotes uh, as we go through this will come from Brian Waterman's book, Marquee Moon. Let's cut to that interview. You want to cut to that interview? Hello, today we are talking about television's Marquee Moon. We are at the Revolver Records. 12th Avenue. Exactly. Inside of the Jitterbug. One of the my favorite records ever. What about you, Ray? Um, I, I certainly so. believe it's one of the most influential albums ever. But one of those. is it not one of your favorite records to listen to? Um, I mean, Journey, you know, J- Journey Escape was influential, but I don't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, Except I, Stone I, in Love. I do like Stone in Love. I actually didn't yeah. first listen to it until um, a little bit ago. When you turned this on. Yeah. Um, and I, I really liked it. I quite liked, I liked I it. I love it. I love this record. Did you know that Richard Hell was the original bass player? And he left before this was recorded. No. And he formed the Voidoids. And he was also in Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers before that. Another very seminal, influential band that came out of the New York Dolls. So many. So all this, all these New York CBGB downtown bands are kind of mm. inbred and interconnected. That's and what it, it really resonates of CBGB. Oh, totally. New York. Oh, yeah, totally. But it's also kind of nerdy, geeky, like Devo or jam hippie uh, fish. Uh, yeah, it's got. I mean, it's got. They just go and jam and just lots of guitar noodling, which I normally hate, but I love the guitar noodling. On this record, I love every song. Yeah. On, on this record, every minute of every song, from beginning to end, it's rare. It's a it's a rare bird to find a record that is so unique and so stunning and so earth shattering. Yeah. When did you from find that record? Um, was it when it came? I out heard it. No, no, I wasn't that hip. I was. I was in high school, probably listening to Journey, and you know, <laughs> television did not exist in Pensacola in 1978 or 77. Right. Ted Nugent and Steely Dan, right. Fleetwood Mac, yeah. was right. what kids listened to. You didn't listen to television. You watch television. Easy. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine. Um, I probably read about it in Trouser Press, which is a great old uh, magazine from the 80s, maybe Spin or just word of mouth. And I walked into a record store one day. It was a record store that I. I think at the time I was already working there. Yeah, I was, I was working there by then. It was called The Soundblock, killer record store in Pensacola behind University Mall, which at that time was a, you know, a happening mall. And they had this record in the used bin. I probably reported it to work one day and I walked in and someone when I wasn't there had sold this record and for $3.99, an old 70s copy of Marky Moon was in the bin. I'm like, oh yeah, I've been here and this is a great record. But it wasn't in print, been in print for years and this was 89, so CDs, Stores were selling vinyl anyway. If it had been print, they'd be selling the CD of it. But I'm sure it wasn't issued yet on CD. So that cool. Three nine nine. I got like a twenty percent employee discount. So for probably three dollars and forty seven cents plus tax, I got an original copy of this record. And you want to and buy it? I took, one it, of your I took it. I took it as cheap, and I took it home, and I put it on, and my jaw dropped, and my eyes widened, and my skin tingled. And the adrenaline kicked in, and I was—I had to sit down because I felt dizzy, and the brewing of, or it could have been that beer I was drinking. I'm joking. Be. <laughs> I'm joking. Right, right, I wasn't right. drinking beer. And and my roommate—I was in a band with a, uh, um, a Cramps Influence psychobilly band at the time. Um, the guitar player, my roommate, I played it for him, and he was like, and he he listened to it when I was at work, and I came home, and he was like, he was the same way. He's like. Dude, you're right. I love this record. This record's awesome. I heard about it too, but there was no YouTube or Spotify or you could just, you know, where you could listen to stuff. You had to actually have a physical copy to hear it. And they didn't exist. It wasn't on CD yet. Then when it was selling vinyl, the f I was very lucky to find this record. I just kind of like to know who the heck brought that record in and traded it in. Maybe a Navy guy from New York or San Fran or Chicago or right. whatever. And it was lightning is low because he was moving. I don't know who got rid of that record, but. If you're out there somewhere listening to this right now, I'd like to thank you very much <laughs> for getting rid of Marquee Moon so I can own it. And I still have that record. I still have it in my house now. I'll probably never sell it. Sold. 
I'll be dead one day, and they'll have an estate sale or a yard sale, sell my records, and you know, someone, <laughs> someone like Ray or some of his buddies will come and like, yeah, that, that's that Marky Moon record he was talking about way back in 2023, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's only $50, man. Can you they sold this by, you know, <laughs> or whatever. The records will be selling for when I'm dead, you know, right. 25 years from now. Right. So, but sure. it's it's a it's a great record, but it's it's jazzy, it's jammy. It's nerdy, uh, yeah. it's psychedelic, it's art, it's, it's, it's post-punk, it's all over the place. Um, it's got great vocals, great guitar noodling, great rhythm section, great songwriting. It's highly unique. I don't n know too many records that sound like this. Maybe the first two Gang of Four records or the second Public Image Limited record. Uh, mm. it's, it's, it's very unique. It's not, it's head and shoulders above anything the Talking Heads did or Blondie or the New York Dolls or any of those. Really? In my book. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, in well, my that's book. All that it's, it's the best CBGB's record ever made. Dead Boy. Damn. I'm not even, not even close. Uh, yeah, doesn't matter. I guess I would ask, how is this influential to the scene that it was in? It's a good question. You'd have to be, find someone yeah. that was there. It is, it is, yeah, just, yeah, we'd right. have to think, extrapolate. I, I was thinking because I'm, you I'm were sure saying, probably Debbie like, Harry from Blondie probably walked into Bleeger Bob's, which is the famous Greenwich yeah. Village record store maybe and heard about it or probably saw them play live and saw they were amazing and like cool they got to the studio they got a record out and it's five ninety nine at Bleeger Bob's and bought it and took it home and hopefully thought the same thing I did. She already knew, I mean she didn't have a, a tabula rasa, a blank slate like I did. I'd right. heard about the band but I had heard I heard that. Yeah. Right. So I'm sure if you went to David Burns house, knocked on his door and and asked to look at his record collection, you'll see that. You probably and, did today. And the Iggy Pop and Johnny Rotten and right. uh, just, uh, Rivers Cuomo from from Weezer <laughs> yeah. and a whole slew of people All worldwide. All those dudes in the strokes. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and I'm sure you know Ryuichi Sakamoto in Tokyo has got a copy yeah. of this in his collection. It's yeah. a it's a stunning record, when, and when, it's in my top ten for mm. many many reasons. Well, welcome back. Um, and it's actually kind of crazy that a lot of Elvis's guesses as to what happened in that time period are what happened and here are some you know research uh answers yeah while they were hailed as a great new york band verlaine and patty Smythe wind up hitting it off and patty Smythe has a quote television will wipe out the media by patty Smythe. she winds up having a relationship with tom verlaine in a minute you're going to hear another connection they have when we kick it back to the rest of elvis's interview which yeah. is interesting too that he kind of figured that out Blondie did know about them, of course, because the bass player, Fred Smith, was actually in Blondie at one time mm -hmm. and winds up coming into this band as after that, post that. We do have, they are hailed as this great New York band, but the record, uh, uh, Brian Eno tries to produce their first demo and it doesn't pick up. Nobody really knew how to sell. This is, now this is not factual. This is me guessing. I don't think it was easy to sell them. Yeah. Because... In pop radio play at the time, like they were cutting Eric Clapton and uh, Dwayne Allman's guitar solos out yeah. of, they were editing them out of radio play. And when so, what are you going to do with Marquee Moon? Yeah, when he doesn't have the rep of a Clapton or, you know, regardless yeah. what you think of his playing, that doesn't matter when you're talking rep. And how do you sell this if it's not quite punk and it's not quite nowadays? We can sell alt as alt. And yeah. people go, oh, and they go, an alternative, and then they click on their Spotify, and they listen to two songs and decide whether they like it. Back then, you had to wait. Eric said something really telling when he said, Marquee Moon wasn't getting play down here. That wasn't what rock radio was playing down here. 
New York would play it. L.A. might be playing it. But they couldn't even get a record deal. And they do form. I think it helped them a little bit. I think it helped us mm. a little bit in that they had to form. And when they hire Smith, there being a little bit of time period before they get signed, they play shows and they're headlining shows. And they're the first band that got a residency at CBGB's. Mm. Think about that. When we say they're the quintessential wow. CBGB band, they sure are. Right? They talk wow. they talk Hilly Crystal into giving them that. What, what does CBGB stand for, do you know? I do not know. Country, bluegrass, and blues. But he couldn't get any of those bands to play there. Mm. It was in a rougher area in New York than those kind of guys would, would roll to. So mm. that's what he winds up having to sell into. It's, it's a peculiar thing, right? We all live out our dreams, but we don't know how we're going to do it. <laughs> and he did that too. And you have... Everybody's saying, well, wait, they're the evolution of Velvet Underground. Yeah. And yet, at first, they were t- described as a punk band. And then they're this, they're this. No, nobody could pin down how to sell it. And so they, when they finally do get signed, they, they sell you know 80,000 copies or something, which nowadays would be great, right? Because yeah. they don't sell records anymore. But back then, it got looked at as, oh, we might have made a mistake here. Brian Eno and... Said he had trouble in the studio producing the first demo, which cost them some time on getting things. Verlaine said that Eno just didn't understand what they were trying to do. I don't know that you know Eno would evolve as a as a yeah. as an artist as well. Those things are fascinating to me, in that you did have a Smythe, every band that's playing CBGBs yeah. and getting signed faster than them because you can sell Blondie, you know what you're selling. You can sell. The talking heads, even you kind of know what you're selling. There, this avant-garde, you know, it's very difficult to pin down, right? Because there's jazz in there, there's prog rock, there's psychedelica, there's there's a poetry in the in the lyrics and all that. And when you talk about the Strokes, we mentioned the Strokes. He mentioned the Strokes, and I did too in that as well. When you talk about the Strokes' influence, the Rolling Stone article about the Strokes EP in 2001, they made an EP which echoes Television and the Velvet Underground is literally the title of the article to describe them before they're doing anything in Rolling Stone. Mm. So obviously... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And then there's another article by a British... I think it was a British mag. I just kind of scrolled through earlier that said um, one of their records was just a straight television rip, mm. which is funny, too. But I, I, I thought he was being... Uh, I don't think he liked the strokes at all when he was diving into that. Yeah. So let's kick it back to Elvis. Yeah, because when when I when I had heard about this record, you know, it it's talked about in a way where it's not only it's it's in the scene and uh, on the pedest- it's put on the same pedestal as like an unknown pleasures or a remaining yeah. light, and yeah. I, I feel like it, it yeah. very much it's in the pantheon. It is very much in that kind of Mount Rushmore. I'm gonna steal it. Stuff. Yeah, someone's gonna come up here with like you know like a. Dark side of the moon, like, dude, man, that's on Mount Rushmore. You got to get this, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. No one would do it. I mean, no one knows Dark Side, but whatever. Right, right, right. The first Strokes record, right, would absolutely, be like absolutely. a, a two, early two thousands Mount, Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Next right. round, I'm gonna steal that. I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> yeah. I've never, I've never heard musicians or music, you know, right. mention the same brand as, as and, and like Mount Rushmore, right. Dead Presence. Right. But right, right. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, yeah. You make a good record store employee. Yeah, <laughs> employee one day. Yeah, I'd say uh, yeah. It's very much on that like that post-punk Mount Rushmore yes. with like unknown pleasures and remain in light and um, closer. Yeah, it, it it deserves that and more. It it's, like it's, it's so it totally deserves it. Even the photo. It's this. I think this is a Robert Mapplethorpe or Maplethorpe photo. He did the cover for 
Patty Smith's first record, um, Horses. It totally looks like let's go out in the hall and take a picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a simple Polaroid, and they, they filtered yeah. it or Easy. colored, colorized it. Absolutely, but it's very stark. It's kind of like the music. It's very, you know, the black and white border, right. the gritty, faded, washed-out colors, Polaroid effect. Yeah. You know, they, these guys look like they haven't eaten in three and a half weeks. Exactly. Maybe they hadn't. Right. Well, they had got a very, record ain't out yet. It's oh, a very right. stark, edgy. We, we got a customer. Let's wrap. Cool. Okay. Let's wrap Thank it up. you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, that was a great talk. Appreciate you for having. That was awesome. Hopefully. You enjoyed that uh, talk from Elvis. Uh, I know I certainly did. Um, it was really great to um, get to talk to him about one of his favorite albums and one of his favorite records. What's cool? Yeah. What's cool to me is that he's he's knowledge, having lived in the record industry for the last I don't know since I was in high school and working at radio stations. He's accumulated knowledge in a different way and he is a walking living breathing encyclopedia of music and it's neat to be around that because we love to get to talk music yeah and to have something that can fire back on all topics at all times is really cool for us i think actually one other thing about television was that it was on this list of albums that uh, that i came up with but that we have been going through about stuff that we hadn't listened to yet that was um, music that's, I, I guess, is essential, right? Well, we'll I find guess. out. Somebody thinks it's essential. You thought enough of it to think we need to listen to all of it and talk about a lot of it. My favorite album on that list so far has probably been Massive Attack's Mezzanine. Now, we're going to do a, a show on that. We, uh, we could do our next show on that if you would like. All right. Then our next show is on Massive Attack's Mezzanine. Um but moving on to what we listened, uh, what we listened to, just like naturally, this week, uh, this week I actually listened to "In the Court of the Crimson King" um, by King Crimson. Fantastic morning. Just absolutely, just fantastic album. Fantastic morning. One of the greatest albums ever made. Even though it's someone like me who's not even really into prog rock, I, I just I, that album. I listened to uh, that "Godspeed You" Black Emperor. Lift your skinny fists like antennas to heaven. While I was in school, uh, while I was doing my test, right. and um, when the um, the final section of sleep came on, um, I almost cried uh, in the middle of class. Uh, I didn't, but it was almost there. If it comes to like what else I listened to, uh, I listened to uh, some some more um, like classic hip hop. You would call it. I guess. Marshall Mathers LP, Get Rich or Die Trying. Some of these were first listens, like Get Rich or Die Trying, but I'd, I'd heard Marshall Mathers LP before. I quite like both of them. I think you were surprised at how good Get Rich or Die Trying was. I was. I 50, was. 50, yeah, 50 cent. cent. Yeah, I was. I, I guess, I, guess I, I don't know, I expected it to be kind of dated in a way that, like, though this album does sound like it was from the 2000s, I think it reflects nicely. I mean, I, I, think, it, I think it reflects very nicely on the time that it came out in. I was I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed Get Richard I Trying. The main thing I listened to was the uplift. Well, I listened to Marky Moon, of course, but the Uplift Mofo Party Plan by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which would be 1987 and three albums in. I got a I got a new boss, Johnny. Johnny Mays would be his name. Oh, I sent him. I know what it was. He made a decision on something, and I sent him the song Johnny Johnny Way Up High. You kicked a hole right in the sky, Johnny Johnny. Johnny. Okay. And he was like, dude, I, I forgot about all that stuff. He said, this is a record I grew, I, I really dug when, when I was young, which is the Uplift Mofo. 
and I just forgot how incredible this Chili Peppers record is. I mean, it starts with Fight Like a Brave. It rolls through, and it's funny. It is very, it's, it's a lot ra more raw than what you would get later on mm -hmm. as they refined their sound and figured out who they were. But there are little hints. It's, it's kind of like when you listen to Marky Moon. You can hear both where they wound up up of course but you can hear the punk rawness in it too which gives it that garage band feel even though they're kind of all over the place not all over the place even though there's an, uh, a great deal of music playing not associated with punk yeah so but you can hear in behind the sun where the chili peppers are going to go behind the sun is kind of like oh okay eventually yeah. they're going to be able to do that a lot and it's going to sound good yeah. and they're going to take the aspects they're really good at the bass playing the, the rhythmic choruses, the, the more and more you listen to the Chili Peppers, the more you realize that whether or not they could get along, Fuchetta was the man to be in that band. Yeah. And it never, it, was, it wasn't that it was bad. It's like, you know, with, with a lot of different bands, you wind up with guys coming in and out. It's not like it was bad with other guitarists. It just wasn't it, this. He was never, never. Right, he, was meant, he was meant to be with Fleet and Anthony and Chad. Chad's a fantastic player, too. They're, they're all fantastic at what they do. They're very good at their jobs. Uh, I believe that's a wrap. So next episode is? Uh, next episode is Massive Attack's Mezzanine. And we appreciate Elvis. And we appreciate um, Elvis and Revolver Records. Excellent. I also appreciate the coffee at Jitterbugs, yes. four to five strides away from Elvis's. The place where you actually order the drink is four to five strides away. Two after you've drunk a couple of a couple of shots of the jitterbug two strides away because your strides are bigger because you have caffeine pumping through your veins. <laughs> so we'll say to you folks, go home. Go home.